When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me. All of Us Strangers is an emotional experience for many, myself included. The film is written and directed by Andrew Haig, known for Weekend and Looking, and although it's loosely based on the Japanese novel Strangers, it's infused by Haig's personal experiences and reflections, and even filmed in his own childhood home. All of Us Strangers is a love story and a ghost story. Adam, in a stunning performance by Andrew Scott, is a gay screenwriter in his 40s, writing about his past. He lives in a London high-rise which appears empty, except for one neighbor, Harry, who seems wounded and lonely. They begin a relationship. Concurrently, Adam is revisiting his childhood home. There he finds his parents, just as they were, the last time he saw them when they had died, when he was just 12. The film captures the realities of the queer experience, parents' reactions, accidental cruelty, guilt, love, and remembrance. I got the chance to speak to Andrew Scott, who many of you know from Sherlock and as Hot Priest from Fleabag, and Paul Meskel from Normal People and Aftersun. I also spoke to Claire Foy, who here plays Adam's mum, so full of love, but also very much trapped in her time. I also spoke to writer-director Andrew Haig about this very personal story. But first, here is All of Us Strangers. Hello. Hi. Saw you looking at me from the street. I'm assuming you're not with anyone. Never see you with anyone. This your mom and dad? Yeah. They died just before I was 12. I'm trying to write about them at the moment. How's it going? Strangely. Hi. Hi. Is this real? Does it feel real? Our boys back home? Our son. Look at you. You were just a boy. And now you're not. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think that matters. Hi, Christina. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for this incredibly beautiful and moving movie. It's vulnerable for you guys, but also for us, the viewers, you know, thinking about what I wanted to have said to my mother and um, desperately I want my kids to feel understood and all these thoughts. (laughs) But it seems most vulnerable for you. I mean, you really put yourself out there. What did you learn about Andrew the son during the process of adapting this? 
That's interesting. Like I, I, I kind of felt like that it's interesting that you say that because I wanted the film to feel vulnerable. I wanted to have a vulnerability. And the only way I could do that is to put my vulnerability into the film and then hope that the actual, the actors also bring their vulnerability because that is the way that I feel like it can connect to the audience and the audience can come to the film with their own insecurities and fears and longings and desperations and all of those kind of things. I, I'm not entirely sure what I've learned. Maybe what I've learned is there's been a catharsis for me, I think. I, in, a, in a strange sense, I've understood my parents better. I've understood parenting better. I've understood how difficult it is to say the right things and do the right things. I've understood that I can still have conversations with people that I may have loved and lost, not always through death, just through we lose lots of people in our lives just through experience and time and location and all of those kind of things. But somehow you can still have all of those conversations in your head and somehow they can still have an impact. They can still help you move forward. When writing the scene, when Adam comes out, what was important for you to portray there? I needed to portray a lot of things at the same time, I think. You've got this man that is you know, seemingly comfortable with his sexuality. He's in his 40s, he's he's out. There's, there's, he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. But then being faced with his mother again, you can feel all of his fear coming to the surface again. Even as a man, as a grown man, he still needs his mother's love and acceptance. And then at the same time, I want to show the complications of what that is for the mother who lived in a certain time and in a certain culture, which is how everybody thought back then in the 80s. And so how does she deal with that? How does it affect her? And I think so much of for her is like, I don't know my son and I am terrified for my son. And even though she can say quite hurtful things in that scene, it's out of love, not out of hate. I think that was important. And also for Adam, it was about experiencing how he used to feel and how so many queer people used to feel back then at that time. Has your family seen the film? Has your mom uh, reacted? Yeah, so my mum has seen the film. My dad won't get to see it because he, he's not well, but my mum has seen has seen the film. And so, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's an unusual experience for her to watch it and a, and a slightly painful experience for her to watch. But at the same time, she loves the film and she understands the film and sort of oddly wants to have conversations with me. Uh, but I still don't necessarily want to have those conversations oh, with her, which is interesting. You're not ready yet. It's very interesting. I feel like I can have them in the film, but having them in real you life. You had is a the conversation thing. making this movie, perhaps. Exactly. And I think that's very fascinating for everybody because I feel like sometimes it's not about actually needing to have the conversations with people for real. It's about having them within ourselves. So I think lots of us who have lost people in our lives, you cannot go back. That doesn't mean you can't have conversations with them. That doesn't mean you can't sort of bring them back to life in your imagination and work through things. And I think that feels quite magical to me. Here is a clip from All of Us Strangers a conversation between Adam and his father, played by Jamie Bell. I have good memories, too. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. I hope so. I hope you did. <laughs> Remember you used to love decorating the tree? <laughs> <laughs> you were crazy for us every year. And you'd always let me um, put the fairy <laughs> on top of the tree. <laughs> Thank you.
sorry I never came in your room when you were crying. No, really, it's okay. That's not okay, that really is. It's not. Dad, Dad, I get it. It was, it was so long. It was so long ago. Stop. spoke to Claire Foy on her complex portrayal of Adam's mother. These parents aren't perfect. I mean, there's love there, but as Andrew said, there's some accidental cruelty going on. Um, mm. As you see it, how would you describe mom's reaction to her son's coming out to her? Yeah, I think definitely a huge amount of accidental cruelty. And also, you know, it, you see that in the dynamic as well of... Um, Jamie and Andrew's character and just the how your parents can say or anybody in your family can say one word that can define you for the rest of your life um and you think it's not okay to be you or that you think that's what you are and you just define yourself that way forever and Um, as a parent that's terrifying it's (laughs) terrifying there's so but we will we'll all say something that will stay and we can't really control it uh you just have to be honest with yourself I suppose and also say sorry I think that that's so often what people want to hear I think that scene in particular we were really clear we didn't want to kind of backpedal on the difficulty of how that might be in the sense that neither of us think that neither of them in that situation think they're coming to have that conversation um Adam doesn't think that he needs to you know discuss his sexuality with his mother because he's a 40 year old man he's content in himself um and nor does his mother thinks that she's going to hear some kind of aspect of his character that she has absolutely no idea and doesn't recognize at all. I think that it's difficult because I didn't want to look at the scene in a modern sensibility. I had to understand that that character was living in the eighties and with all of the stigma that came with being gay at that period of time and, um, and how much prejudice there was. Um, And I think that we had to be truthful about that and that ultimately those conversations unfortunately do happen very often um, and it's such a moment of um, need, uh, acceptance that needs and love that needs to be there. And ultimately, when that's the case, often the wrong thing is said and, and hurt is caused. So that's what we basically we didn't try and do that, but we just tried to be truthful, I think, about mm-hmm. where they were both at in that moment. You've pay- played a couple of mums now with Queen Elizabeth as well, trapped to sort of in generational and tradition and speaking mm-hmm. to her kids and her own parents. But is there anything you feel you have learned from playing these two mothers? Um, I think I have learned from my own experience, probably more than anything, which is, you know, you can only be yourself. And then all you can do is apologize for being who you are mm-hmm. <laughs> in life in general you know, is know what your stuff is and know where you can cause harm. And then say, I'm sorry that I do. I know that I do. I wish I didn't, but I'm trying. Like, I'm just trying. I am trying. Um, And be open about getting things wrong. Um, I think there's, you know, our generation, I think, unfortunately, suffers from perfectionism. I think that will be probably our burden 
which is that we tried to do everything right because so often we feel like the generations before did everything wrong. And so I think it's that thing that will be probably a, a generation of children who come from us who have absolutely no idea about struggling or, <laughs> or you know, um, the difficulties of life, maybe. And then they'll have Nutrition. a shot. Yeah, because we've tried to stop it from happening or we've tried to perfect ourselves or we've always been there or we, you know. Um, so I think nobody gets it right, do they? All you no. can do is love and apologize. Basically, it feels like that's it, really. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, Andrew Scott, who plays Adam, and Paul Meskel, Harry. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for this moving movie experience. There's some incredibly sexy dancing going on by the Irish elite, the acting Irish elite, with you guys, Barry Keegan and Saltburn. You're like putting Ireland on the dance floor map. Is this going on regularly? Oh, no. If you spend enough time in Ireland, you realize we've been on the map for years. <laughs> my dad at a wedding, and you'll know that that's, the, that's where it all that's where it's comes all from. Right. Irish dad dancing yeah. at a wedding is a sight to behold. Get Killian Murphy on the dance floor during award season now and you'll have yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bit of river dance, yeah. yeah. Paul, I was talking to Andrew Haig earlier about the film's vulnerability. How did you perceive Harry's vulnerability? There's something that Harry does quite effectively that's really quite dangerous, which is he's able to kind of sit and hide his vulnerabilities and he places all of his kind of pain into being a good listener and a good partner, but actually doesn't overly share his own pain. So he's doing both things. He's receiving the pain from somebody else and not really overly explaining his own grief until the end. Um, and I think I learned that that's a very dangerous place for a human being to um, be. And it's, it's unsustainable. And um it, it kind of just opened my eyes to the kind of amount of pain that people people mm. are going through that you don't necessarily that necess wouldn't necessarily present that way. I think yeah. he sort of, he hides in plain sight, and and it's kind of a terrifying combination of things for a human being. And what does Adam need from Harry? He needs somebody to um, love him, I think, and mm. uh, accept him and hear him. And those things are like simple, simple, simple things that we actually, it's, it's rare to actually like truly listen to somebody's pain because it's a, it's a really difficult thing to absorb, especially if you're remotely empathetic. And I think that's what, um, Harry needs to give Adam. And I think that's ultimately what Adam needs in life. Yeah. And it's to be able to, I think sometimes love is like. You no, know, not to be able to provide, you hear somebody ter someone's terrible pain and you have such empathy for them that you want to do something or you mm -hmm. want to provide an instant solution. And I think the wonderful thing I think about what Paul achieves with Harry is that he does do that. He challenges him in a beautiful way, but also he just listens. He, 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 he takes it on. I think that's very mm -hmm. heartbreaking about the character of Harry, actually, because I think it speaks so much about Harry's self-worth that you think, well, 
the most important thing is that I'm there for you and I disguise this mm -hmm. because what his pain isn't as interesting or as, interesting, or, yeah. or as yeah. worthy of of listening to I think that's I think that's a, a beautiful thing to represent on, mm. on screen because I think a lot of people behave in that way. Yeah. Andrew, you said regarding the film, prejudice doesn't survive proximity. I was huh. wondering if you could explain how that pertains to Adam and his parents. Well, I think he's very interested in his parents meeting Adam, uh, meeting Harry, because you can talk in the abstract about falling in love and being gay and telling your parents. But the most important thing uh, is for for him is for them to meet the person that he loves, you know. And for that reason, when they're approximate to the person, their prejudice against his sexual preference or whatever sort of becomes irrelevant. You go, well, that's that's who he loves. That's Harry. That's our son. So it's not like our son is this and blah, blah. You're not thinking about things in the abstract. So if people are around people that they know, they're allowed to go, well, that is my annoying sister or my brother that may be queer or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But this is who they are. And that's why I think mm -hmm. it's so important to have representation. So, so we go, we, or so that allows us to take away just that singular attribute and to look at the other attributes that gay people and queer people have as well as non-queer people. So I think the really insidious thing about all of this stuff is is that it's your you're drowning in this one attribute and uh the thing that i find oppressive in that way is that you go well what? i've got other stuff that's far more interesting um that i'd like you to be to see and when you're near somebody which is what a proximity not surviving prejudice not surviving surviving proximity means that when you're near somebody your prejudice can't other other things come to life here again writer director andrew haig you said recently that there's a generation of queer kids grieving over childhood they didn't really get to have. Is it better now and how? Look, I think it's much, much better. Like people can speak to their parents more openly about their feelings. They can come out. You know, people are much, much more accepting, not everywhere and not always. It doesn't mean it's all suddenly fine. There are still a lot of complications, but I think there is a generation of us who were absolutely so terrified of telling our parents that we were gay or telling anybody, friends, parents, mm -hmm. colleagues, anything, that we would be completely rejected and would be left abandoned and alone. Now that necessarily didn't necessarily happen to lots of us, but the fear of that was so real. And I think it stunted so many of our childhoods and our teenage years. I think it's better now. I still think it's difficult for people. I still think it's complicated. I still think like for Harry in the movie, you can still drift away from the center of your family. And I think the key is to keep having those difficult conversations. And sometimes we have to have those difficult conversations. I've always felt like a stranger in my own family. I'm always scared of something. Always running away, do you remember? Sorry, I never came in your room when you were crying. It's funny, it doesn't take much to make you feel the way you felt back there again. Finally, I just want to say how thrilling it was that you used pop songs and they, they deserve credit for the emotional depths they have and even maybe saved a few lives, I would say. What's your go-to emotional pop song? 
I mean, it probably is anything by the Pet Shop Boys, which I still adore and love and will put on so much of their music when I want it to like to feel. I think that is the point. And that is what pop music can do. It makes you feel something and it helps teenagers and kids understand really big adult experiences and it's their first insight into those experiences and that's what i love pop music for and i i think it's essential uh therapeutic exercise for so much of many of us is to listen to pop music me too thank you so much as does your filmmaking help generation thank you very much thank for you your time. pleasure thank you so much cheers Thank you so much to Andrew Haig, Paul Meskel, Andrew Scott, and Claire Foy. Don't miss all of us strangers. And thank you so much for listening. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.